This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Each week, you can join me and my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, as we take a deep dive into a new case. We created this show to remember a victim's life and give their stories exposure. And by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you are excited to be in the new year. I am very excited for another year doing this podcast with you guys, and I'm really hoping for a big year in being able to make strides and make a difference because of you. Our footprint last year with that was maybe small, but that's the goal is to grow every year. And it's only because of you guys and your listens and your support that we are able to do that. Today's story is a tragic one because it shows bias in police work against groups of people that are maybe having a difficult time. It shows that we as a society don't always take every single homicide that seriously. We don't care about them equally and we really need to. I was able to talk to the victim's sister for today's episode and you're going to hear from her as well. Um, And I came across this episode because of Eric from the True Consequences podcast. He posted about it on Twitter asking for other podcasts to take up the story and offer help in giving Adolfo Vega story exposure. So I'm so happy I'm able to do that with the help of Adolfo's sister, Nancy. And I'm so happy that Eric brought this to my attention. You should check out his podcast, True Consequences podcast. He focuses, um, he's very victim focused, which you know I appreciate and I love. And his brother was actually murdered. I believe he covers that case first. And then from there, he's able to advocate for other cases. So I really commend him for the work he's doing. And I appreciate him sending this case my way. So with that, are you ready for today's case? On April 6, 2022, Antonia Vega is devastated to open her front door and find two California City coroner officials informing her about the death of her son, Adolfo Vega. The officers tell Antonio that Adolfo had been murdered outside a home on Bancroft Court. Shock ripples through the house as soon as the news pierces her ears. And on top of that, the victim blaming has already started, rubbing Antonia the wrong way. They came, they told my mom that if he wasn't where he was at, then this wouldn't have happened. They right away victim blamed them and stuff. Being informed that your family member has died, let alone has been murdered, is startling enough. But Adolfo's family knew something that police weren't aware of yet. Just 24 hours earlier, he was being released from the hospital following a vicious assault. He had told his family he was jumped and that someone was trying to kill him. Specifically, someone was trying to shoot him. Now, one day later, Adolfo is dead following a shooting. My brother calls me. He goes, just... Straight up, because, you know, he's he's that type of person and stuff. He was like, Adolfo got killed tonight. And I was like, wait, what? 
And I was like, you know, saying, like, I know I repeated myself, like, what, saying what multiple times. And then he was like, finally, like, Nancy, Adolfo's dead. He got killed. So after Nancy gets the call from her older brother that Adolfo has been killed, she immediately wants answers for why this has happened. I personally interviewed Nancy, who gave insight into what led to Adolfo's tragic murder. Antonio and Nancy's grief for the loss of their beloved son and brother only serve as inspiration to keep pushing for justice in his name. So let's go back to just days before the murder when two men had assaulted Adolfo. This assault was pretty brutal. Adolfo suffered multiple injuries, including a broken left arm. He had been attacked with a golf club, and Adolfo says that these two guys had tried to shoot him before using that golf club as a weapon. Um, the gun, he says, malfunctions. Nancy tells me that the police report states the gun was something like a BB gun, so not necessarily a real gun, but they're trying to shoot him with this BB gun. It malfunctions. Is Nancy the mom? Nancy's the sister. the sister. Yeah, his older okay. sister. Yeah. And so it malfunctions and Adolfo ends up being beaten with this golf club, breaks his arm. One of these men was already on felony probation and both of them were sitting in jail cells by the time Adolfo was murdered soon after. And this all happened on Adolfo's walk home from work on April 3rd, 2022. He knew both of the men who approached him. And initially, it was just this verbal argument. They're accusing Adolfo of, quote, talking shit. And that's what leads to his attack. He had been knocked unconscious after being hit in the golf club to the back of the head. And thankfully, there's this nearby witness who recorded the incident. And when the men are gone, this person is able to come to Adolfo's aid and he drives him to the hospital. So does this assault have anything to do with the shooting? All I know is that once Adolfo is killed, the charges against these two assailants are dropped and both men are released from custody regardless of the video footage, the evidence collected upon their arrest, such as the BB gun, and that Adolfo identified the men and, and led police to where they lived. Why did they drop it? Yeah, he died. And I guess they just thought since he had died, they didn't need to press charges on these people. But it's like, well, they still committed the crime. They still assaulted someone. So just let them go do it to someone else? Apparently. So they like full get away with it. They've never gotten in trouble for it. And it was like very clear they did it. Not sure. Apparently. That's just wrong. It's just sad. So it ends up on April 5th is when Aldolfo's family is notified that he's in the hospital. So this is just a couple days after he's attacked and only one brother was able to visit him due to the COVID pandemic, which placed restrictions on hospital visitors. And thankfully, this brother was able to video chat with other family members while he's in the room. He video chats with Nancy and this would be the last time she ever talks to Aldolfo. While at the hospital, this brother was able to take videos of him to share with the family that was unable to come and visit. And since a tragedy occurs the following day, these videos are priceless to those that loved him. Did he live with his family? Um, so we'll kind of get into that. He does sometimes stay with his mom, but he bounces around a lot. And Nancy describes him in her own words as like a, like a chosen transient. Like he chose to be almost homeless and just kind of bounce around and did you say how old he was um i haven't yet but he is 41 at the time of his death oh 
Wow. Yeah. So he's older than I thought. Yeah. So he's got some kids. He's got grandkids. They are able to take him home that same day, that April 5th day that they're notified he's in the hospital. It's Adolfo's brother and mom who are able to bring him home. And his mom and brother live super close to each other, just about a half mile apart there in California. And like I said, he's kind of bouncing around at this point in his life, sometimes staying with his mom, Antonia, but her conditions were no drugs in the house because we'll see he is involved in like the drug world. So that were her, that was her condition. So he wasn't always there. Yeah. So it's the next day after he comes home on April 6th that Aldolfo takes a shower at his mom's. He talks on the phone with a few friends and then he asks Antonia for a ride. She drops him off just a few blocks away from her home where he asked her to take him. He tells her he's going to grab some of his stuff and he's going to come back later that night. She was worried about him. I mean, he was literally just assaulted days earlier. So she waits up until she hears that knock on the door. She thinks it's Aldolfo because he doesn't have a key to her house, but we know she opens the door only to be informed of his death. My brother and my mom live maybe half a mile away from each other. Um, And so my mom that day had dropped off my brother by my other brother's house um, because my brother says that he would be back. Um, he had to go, you know, go gather his things and do what he needed to do, whatever those were, you know, we don't know. He told my mom that he would be back. You know, they talked about him coming back, healing, you know, because he had, because he, because he had the broken arm and stuff like that. And so then, you know, he told my mom, you know, I'll be back, you know, and stuff like that. So my mom actually waited up for him. My mom's an early bird sleeper. (laughs) And so, you know, she... She waited up for him and stuff, and then um, what she said is that she got the knock on the door. She thought it was my brother because he didn't have a key to her house. So immediately following the deadly shooting just days after the assault, the California City Police Department charges D.G. Reader with first-degree murder, but drops those charges almost immediately when he is released just two days after the incident on April 8, 2022. It's a petition put up for signatures by Aldolfo's family that refers to the shooter as D.G. Reader, who I will just refer to here on as D. And it wasn't until more than three months after Adolfo's death that new charges for manslaughter and gun possession are brought against D, leaving questions about what could have possibly happened in the interim between then and now. All eyes are on D, as I'm pretty sure he is the one who made the 911 call. And I can't state that for a fact. It wasn't made super clear to me by Nancy if she knew who made the call. But it does seem that D called the police following the shooting to let them know that he just shot a man he believed to be breaking and entering. So the story of what happened that fateful April 6th night soon pours out of him because he confesses to the shooting that same night. According to D, he had noticed Aldolfo attempting to break into a house in his neighborhood around 7 p.m. So he takes it upon himself to arm himself with a gun and attempt to confront the victim. D's wife joins him outside during this confrontation. And like, I'm sorry, but not a smart move. Like if you think someone's breaking and entering, just call the police. Yeah. Maybe don't grab a gun and go over to the person because this isn't this guy's own house. This is a different home. So and it's an abandoned house. Wait, did they know each other? Um, yes. So Nancy says that she 
believes they did know each other because this guy's wife was somehow connected to her brother. Okay. And he's breaking into an abandoned house? Yeah. He says, this guy, D, says that Adolfo is breaking into an abandoned home in his neighborhood. So he grabs a gun and goes over there to confront him about breaking in. Oh, okay. It's not D's home. No, it's not D's home. It's this random abandoned house in the neighborhood. I thought D might have been living in that abandoned house. Oh, yeah, no. He has his own house just on that same road. So, you know, like I said, maybe you should just make a quick call to police. The situation quickly escalates into a verbal altercation until, unfortunately, D shoots Adolfo at 7.11 p.m. He even says that he shoots Adolfo while he's walking away. The bullet enters through his right arm and shoulder area. It goes through his chest and then it exits from the left side of his body. He said my brother was walking away when he shot him. And if he was standing at his property when he shot him or if he was standing in the abandoned home's property when he shot my brother. Because my brother was shot in the right arm shoulder area that went through the chest and exited out the left. I can probably say about 80% assurance that they knew who Adolfo was because the guy's wife used to date a barber here in Tehachapi, California, which that barber knew who my brothers were. When Nancy is notified of Adolfo's death, she is at her home in Arizona. She needs to find out more information. So Antonio was really told very minimal, minimal details about the events that night. And everyone's really wanting more. So Nancy makes this call to dispatch asking if she can gather more information on her brother's death. She took my information. She told me Detective Hansen was the detective in charge of it and stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, like, you know, let me get your information because they're out on the scene still. You know, they were waiting to notify your mom so they can pick up the body and, you know, take it, transport it to Bakersfield to the uh, morgue. Antonia calls the police station the following day, but has no luck contacting Detective Hansen, who was the lead investigator on the case at the time. Later that day, Nancy decides to try and call again. She's determined to gain some answers, so when the police station tells her that Detective Hansen is not available, she refuses to take no for an answer. She explains her concerns regarding the lack of information provided on the case and how she's felt her mother has been mistreated by the coroner's office upon hearing of Adolfo's death. Much to Nancy's surprise, the police station suddenly puts her on hold for a brief moment before telling her that Detective Hansen could indeed now speak to her. Sadly, things take a turn for the worse rather quickly as Nancy found Detective Hansen's tone of voice really unprofessional. He hopped on the phone only to accuse her of having a bad attitude. Needless to say, it was not a very fruitful conversation and Nancy left with more ans- more questions than answers. I, why do cops do that? I know. She's for detectives or whatever. It's like, can you have some sympathy? Their loved one just passed away. Yeah, and that's exactly what she told me. Like, ouch, like, how do I have a bad attitude? I'm trying to find out how my brother was killed. Yeah. Like, and no one's telling me anything. And do they just, like, sometimes I wonder if the detectives just feel like these people are just low lives. That's exactly. their lives don't matter. Yeah, that's exactly how Nancy like, feels and why she's, like, speaking out on her brother's story. Because she's like, he was a drug addict, but, like, he his life mattered. 
Yeah. Yeah. But she said that's exactly how the detective treated her. Yeah. Which we'll find out this detective knew her brother and had already had interactions with him before. It's like you still have a right to find out how a drug addict died or why he was shot. Exactly. Yeah. It 100 percent. And so then, you know, that's when I talked to him. That's when he told me I had an attitude. And I was like, and I told him, I go, how do I have an attitude if I'm a grieving family member of a tragic event and we're trying to figure out what's going on and nobody's talking to us? And so we went through that process because, you know, again, I asked him straight up, are you affiliated or related to anybody that assaulted my brother in the days prior to the man that killed my brother and or to the house my brother was killed at? And stuff. And then he's like, well, let me give your information to my sergeant so he can call you and enlighten you on your questions. I was like, enlighten me on my questions. I was like, that's what I'm talking to you for, (laughs) you know, but it is what it is. So Nancy ends up traveling from Arizona to California where the crime was committed and where most of her family still lives. She makes it there by Monday, the Monday following Adolfo's death. And while I do understand that sometimes police need to keep information in a case private, even from the family, due to an ongoing investigation, this doesn't seem to be the case here. Remember, Dee was arrested quickly after the shooting. Police knew who did this. Police had a pretty clear picture of what had happened. So what's the reason for being so cagey with the family? Like, for example, Adolfo's family couldn't even find out from police where exactly the crime took place. Nancy and her brother find this out through reading information on social media. A lot of the information about their own loved one's death comes from reading discussions on a Neighborhood Watch Facebook group for the area where Adolfo is killed. Wow. So she is like pretty upset with how they handled it and how they treated her family because she's like these people are getting their information from somewhere so why can't you let us know before we read it on this facebook watch group yeah like she said she went on there and they start talking about how some guy was breaking into the abandoned house and a neighbor shot him and it was all over the news like that's how she really found out the information on what happened Mm, that's sad yeah and again, this is all information I gathered from the um, Facebook groups and stuff that I, I, Cal City 2.0 and Neighborhood Watch. This is a lot of the information was just from social media. They stated that the man and from the news. Um, I was like, call my brother back. And I was like, where was he killed at? You know, and he's like, in California City. He goes, I'm driving around right now because. I hear the fire department, I hear the ambulance, he goes, there's something going on down two blocks from where I live, I'm gonna go see, and he thought our brother was killed near him, but it wasn't even near him and stuff. And so then we didn't find out the location until those social media posts came out. Uh, yeah, all, most of all the information we have is from social media posts of either that I, Cal City 2.0, the Neighborhood Watch for California um, City, and or the news. And like I said, according to Nancy, Detective Hansen already knew who Adolfo was. This detective did have previous encounters with him, and the family decides to file a complaint, and they haven't had to work with this original detective since then. The quote-unquote detective in charge, Detective Hansen at that time, 
he was the investigator for the murder. But from my brother's recordings that we have, he had already encounters with that detective itself. Like I've told everybody, I was up front with him. I told him, you know, I know who my brother was. I'm not trying to sugarcoat him. I know who he is, what he was, and you know, what he did and didn't do. I go, but what happened that caused this murder? You know, I even asked a simple question. Can you even just tell me if I can have, are we able to have an open casket or not? He won't even answer that. So it's a few months after the shooting on July 11th that Nancy receives a phone call informing her that Dee is being arrested again and charged with manslaughter. Dee's attorney accompanied him that day as he turned himself in, and just after being booked, he's released on bail. A preliminary trial is scheduled for September 20th, 2022, and that is the first time Nancy comes face to face with her brother's killer. And the first time that we actually went for the prelim was September 20th. And I didn't know what he looked like, right? The victim advocate that was with us, she didn't know what he looked like because there was no mug shots of him, nothing ever posted, nothing ever shared with us or anything like that. We actually sat right behind him inside court. We were a bench away from him. After that, we were like, uh, yeah, this isn't happening again. The last time we went to court, when we were entering, the, ba- the sheriff there was trying to escort us to that side and I was like no I go can we sit somewhere else I go because that's the man they murdered my brother and he was wait what and I was like that's the man that murdered my brother I do not want to sit next to him or by him on the day I spoke with Nancy she was in California and had just came from another court hearing things in the court system are often imperfect so unfortunately Adolfo's family has had to deal with trials being postponed and things getting dragged out so not much happened at the hearing on the day I spoke with her it was just another continuance and the new trial the new hearing was pushed out to February of 2023 so in about a month from when this episode will be coming out what was the date that this happened um April 6th 2022 I can only imagine how my mom is feeling. I mean, I feel nauseous and just sick to my stomach. And I can only imagine how she's feeling and not feeling. And the victim advocate, she's pretty open. You know, um, I ask her questions. And then today she, ex- you know, she asked me, hey, did the, um, did they explain to you why they c- this continuance keeps happening and stuff? I go, not really. I go, um, she goes, do you, wanna, do you want me to explain it to you? I was like, sure, explain it to me and stuff. So it made sense, her explanation of it and stuff so you know it has to deal with the whole process of the courts and stuff like that and I was like okay cool you know hopefully when we go back in February it'll be the last time for that part and just start with the trial and move forward so we can close this chapter in our life. So, so far through this episode, you've heard small references to Adolfo's life and what he was going through at the time. When he's killed, like I said, he's 41 years old. He was a father, a grandfather, and a loved one to many people. He also had his own personal struggles. I stated that he bounced around, sometimes staying with his mom. He was close to homelessness, and he had a long history with drug addiction. He also had a history of going silent. Sometimes his family wouldn't hear from him for an extended period of time. He went like MIA and I was posting all over his Facebooks because he had like a billion and one Facebooks just because he never keep track of his passwords. Like, you know, anybody seen my brother? I haven't seen him. I haven't talked to him, you know, and, and I reached out to our old, 
to our other brothers and they're like, no, we haven't seen him, heard from him and stuff. And then finally, you know, somebody reached out and, you know, said, hey, you know, I just talked to him maybe a week or so ago. He needed help with his car and stuff. And then that's how it trickled the effect of him contacting me again and stuff. And I was like, where the hell are you, dude? You know, it's like you can't just disappear. But when he did those disappearing acts is when he was really into whatever drug he was in. And then once came out of it and or needed help or money or something else is when he would start contacting us and getting back into it and stuff. I mean, he could tell you the Bible from front to back, back to front. You know, I was telling him, you know, refer back to it, you know, and see you can get from it and stuff and, you know, help yourself, you know, go to therapy because I can tell you what I saw growing up, you know, but I can't help you go through what you're going through and or went through. A huge point in Adolfo's story is that no matter where someone comes from or what struggles they're going through, an unjust death deserves a proper investigation. You said that. Like, no one deserves to be stripped out of this world for no reason. They, they just have a problem. It doesn't mean their life isn't worth anything. Yeah. And, like, we've seen... We have witnessed drug addiction firsthand in our family, like of, you know, someone we care about. But if they ended up dying, I would expect people to figure out why. And I would expect them, the detectives, to explain it to me nicely. Yeah. And not treat you. With compassion. Yeah. 100%. So did Aldolfo have his own struggles? Sure. But his family loved him. He was a light in their lives. And it doesn't seem that he was doing any harm when he shot. Yes, D claims Adolfo was breaking into a home in the neighborhood. But keep in mind, this was an abandoned home. No one lived here. No one was inside if Adolfo did end up getting in. So why weren't the police just called and informed of a trespasser? And on top of that, Nancy visited the home and there were no signs of a break-in attempt. Things were boarded up and spiderwebs covered doors and windows. None of that seemed to be disturbed. So was Adolfo really trying to get into this abandoned house? And if so, for what? Could he have been lured there? Was he supposed to meet someone there? Why exactly was he in this neighborhood? And then despite all of this, Adolfo wasn't shot in a confrontation. He didn't have a weapon of his own on him. He is shot while turning around to walk away. And clearly, this was not a justified shooting since D is being charged. We know that initially he is even charged with first-degree murder, but before he makes it to his arraignment on April 8th, he is released because the DA requests that more investigating needs to be done. Hence, the three-month period between then and when he is officially charged in July with manslaughter. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that when it comes to finding justice, it doesn't matter that Adolfo suffered from drug addiction because his life did matter. A lot of it has to do with bias just because my my view on it is that, you know, they're looking at Adolfo as being a drug addict, as being a transient, and the family must be the same way. Adolfo Jimenez Vega was the youngest sibling in the family, born in Coronado, California on July 9, 1980. Antonia had two children prior to her marriage to Adolfo and Nancy's dad. Oh, I said that weird. Antonia had two children prior to her marriage to Adolfo and Nancy's dad. The couple then had four children of their own together, two boys, and then Nancy, and then Adolfo. 
The family had moved around a bit, but stayed there in California. She had two, yeah. She had my brother. <clears throat> it was my brother, Jesus, my sister, Patricia. Then it's our two, two other brothers, me and then Adolfo. Nancy says that they come from a Hispanic family and they grew up in a strict household. Unfortunately, domestic violence was prevalent in the home. While Nancy doesn't remember much of it, Adolfo did. It's a lot of domestic violence between my parents. I do not recall a whole lot of it, unfortunately. And like I explained to my mom, I think that's just my brain saying, hello, we're not going to remember all this. This is probably too traumatic to you know. It's the summer of 1996 that Antonia tells Nancy one night that she's not going to school the next day. So when Antonia asked Nancy to pack her things, Nancy was completely unaware of the big plan her mom had in store for them. She and her younger brother Adolfo soon found themselves on their way to San Diego with Antonia, where they would live with their aunt until Antonia could establish herself as a single mom. She had left their father, taking the youngest kids with her. The little family moves into a one-bedroom apartment when Nancy was 12 and Adolfo was 7. The siblings spent the coming years going back and forth between both parents' homes. And four years later, Nancy gets married and moves out at just 16 years old. She was laughing when she told me that she jumped from the frying pan to the fire. And that kind of made me laugh because I was like, well, I was only like two years older than you. Oh, I got married when I was 18, almost 19, but I... From the frying pan to the fire. I was like, yeah, been there. So with this, Adolfo was the only child left at home. And about this same time, his father had remarried to a woman who had children of her own. It goes without saying that this was a very turbulent time for young Adolfo, especially feeling abandoned by his father amidst all these sudden changes in his life. Because my mom had six children total. Then my dad had 20 something kids. (laughs) And our dad was, you know, just a rolling man. You know, he would go, he would go from here to Mexico to the booking, um, play horses, the dogs and stuff like that. Then he'd come back. And, you know, we didn't see him too much on the weekends because he was out and about. But then he finally met a lady here in Tehachapi. She had kids as well. Um, and then from there, I think that definitely changed uh, um, Adolfo's life. Because then now he felt more abandoned. That he was the youngest. Um, between From him to my oldest brother, they're 10 years apart. So my older brother was already out and about. Then our second oldest was already out and about. I had gotten got married, so I was out. And, you know, he was the baby that left was left alone, you know. We all kind of abandoned him. And then when our dad married and got together with that lady, it was definitely... You know, he felt abandonment. It was just one thing after the other and stuff, you know, and it's just conversations I've had, you know, with other people regarding, you know, his relationships and him being there and stuff. It was just like he could never find happiness within himself. He was always searching for that missing piece. And I think that missing piece was just the feeling of abandonment from our, you know, parents and stuff like that. Antonia's story is one of immense heartbreak. Having a son killed was a tragically familiar narrative. She had been through this before Adolfo's murder. 
In fact, this is what pushed her to leave her toxic marriage in 1996. Nancy remembers the moment when her oldest brother, Jesus, was getting ready to leave home one night and she begged him to stay. He promises he will be home soon, but he doesn't make it home by the time she goes to sleep. Soon, Nancy awakes to a knock on the door, and it was an officer bringing Antonia the news of her son's death. So the guy that killed my brother because he hit him dead on with his vehicle, um, it was over, the man was a married man, but he was, had his mistress, and my brother was talking to the mistress, I don't know in what form, but you know, the night because they went out to a club, they had dance and stuff like that. And that man got jealous that my brother was dancing with the mistress. <laughs> and so what from what my mom got has shared with me, it seems like it was kind of a set up in a way because, you know, they went there, they drove their vehicle there. It was everything was good. They were driving back and then all of a sudden the vehicle, quote unquote, was not working. And so then they told my brother, oh, there's a car coming. Go stand in the middle of the road. And I don't know if my brother was intoxicated or what was going on at that moment where he was like, okay, let me go flag this freaking ass car down. And they told told my mom that when my brother did that, they heard the um, car accelerate. And the guy hit my brother with full speed and stuff like that. And um, they, on the way to court, because we have to go by, we have to go th- on the freeway and the side, the other highway, you know, we pass it. And my mom was like, when my other son, she goes, when Jesus was killed, she goes, the guy abandoned his vehicle right there in that corner of the intersection and stuff. She goes, because he couldn't drive because the windshield was all shattered from him hitting, hitting him head on stuff. And she saw, and then, you know, he died up the road a little bit. And I remember, you know, the road and stuff because we had went back and looked at it when he had um, passed away and I remember seeing you know blood stains on the on the dirt road and stuff like that so so here Antonia is going through an unimaginable pain yet again the family just wants answers they want people to know that Aldolfo was loved and that despite his imperfections he did not deserve this You can find a petition started by Nancy Vega on change.org to push the California City Police Department into doing investigations without bias. She wants a conviction for her brother's killer and a proper investigation done into what exactly happened. They will be going back to court in February and hopefully have Adolfo's case wrapped up this year in 2023 so that they can grieve their loss. Nancy remembers her little brother being the cutest little, quote, chunky kid. He was absolutely adorable. And as he got into his adult years, he lost all this weight and he starts dabbling into bodybuilding, which really boosted his confidence. He would tease his siblings about being the best looking one in the family. And I love that because that's like 100% such a sibling thing to do. Yeah. Like say you're the hottest one. (laughs) I've gotten tagged in those posts many times from my brothers and sisters. So smartest, yeah, strongest, right? Favorite. <laughs> so Adolfo had four kids and one grandkid. He wasn't always able to keep a great relationship with his kids due to his addictions. And he felt really guilty about that. He felt bad for the damage he had done. Nancy says that with his passing, they're able to grow closer with his kids now. 
Adolfo was a huge goofball. He was always making his family burst into laughter. He thought he was hilarious and that made him even funnier. He was an animal lover with a soft heart and a deep love for others. Nancy's heart breaks for Antonia. Her mom's depression surrounding this tremendous loss is unbearable, and it's the second time she is feeling this intense pain. The loss of a child is probably the worst pain a person could ever experience, and it doesn't feel right to outlive your children. Nancy remembers the scream her mom let out when she saw Adolfo's body for the first time at the funeral home. A mother's scream for her dead child is unforgettable. We expected to grow old with, you know, with each other and around each other and talk crap to each other as we always did. And we don't expect to have somebody murder our family. I understand that it becomes a mundane routine for anybody in any job, you know, where things happen and they're traumatic and stuff like that. But to be mindful of family still because... If it's not happening to you, it's happening to somebody that you may know and or another family member and stuff. And, you know, just we're human. We're human. We're not looking to go get murdered, right? I don't have, hey, a sticker on my forehead. I want to be murdered. Murder me, please, you know? And, you know, regardless of the lifestyle that they have or don't have, give them the dignity to be respected and be investigated in the proper way that they would do because you know criminal justice system and we know the police would go above and beyond if it was a family member of another police officer if it was a police officer or somebody in that work environment they would go above and beyond to investigate to make sure everything was done properly to make sure that they dot their eyes cross their t's and stuff like that it's like give humans civilians the same freaking respect. My biggest reason behind this is for other people that are going through a similar situation to know that they have a voice, that they can speak up and not be afraid of the criminal justice system. Treat people the way you would want your family members to be treated. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palate cleanser is Charlie Waters. And our music is created by Jaden Schultz. Please visit us on social, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and visit our website. Um, And never forget to leave us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'd appreciate it. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters, and today I'm going to be here to give you a palate cleanser. I want to wish you all a happy New Year's and ask what are your New Year's resolutions. I'll tell you what mine is. My goal for myself this year is to be the best big sister I can be. How I can be the best big sister is taking care of my little sister and giving her lots of stuff and giving her lots of stuff that she loves. Bye. Good luck on your New Year's resolutions. I thought a great organization today could kind of coincide with how we saw in today's episode that 
families of victims who have been murdered really need and deserve support. So um, I found an organization called Citizens Against Homicide. You can visit their website at citizensagainsthomicide.org. They describe themselves as a nonprofit organization that serves families and friends of homicide victims. The majority of their board members have lost a family member to murder. They are surviving the devastating loss of a loved one and continue to suffer the emotional trauma of coping with the criminal justice system. They say they have joined together to create a body of support and a voice for families and friends of homicide victims. I highly encourage you to visit their website. You can email them at cahadvocate at yahoo.com. Their phone number is 209-728-2873. And again, the website is citizensagainsthomicide.org. You can go to their website and volunteer. You can donate. You can get involved. You can just share their website to your friends and family on your social medias and give them that support.